But we begin today's program with the National Affairs Correspondent for The Nation magazine, our friend John Nichols. John, how are you today, sir? I'm very good. I'm glad to be with you on this day. It's good to have you on. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to you. I'm glad we got these 30 minutes. Um, There are a number of trending stories, but nothing trending more uh, in the world, obviously, than uh, this Israeli war. Um, uh, Bibi Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister, said uh, a few days ago, we are at war uh, and the whole world is uh, caught up in this drama once again in the Middle East. Don't need to color this first question too much. What's your read of what we are witnessing uh, in the Middle East right now? Horror. Yeah. Look, I mean, there's, uh, we could try and wrap a lot of words around it, but, but what we're witnessing is horrific. Um, we have seen the the brutal murder of young people who went to a dance concert, right? Who went to a rave. Uh, we've seen the brutal murder of uh, old old folks in, in their cabooses. Uh, and now we are seeing uh, the indiscriminate bombing of Gaza, uh, which will cause the deaths of many innocent Palestinians. So in a matter of hours, we're seeing... Uh, Again, innocent Jews, Muslims, and Christians dying uh, in a conflict that the whole world has been terribly irresponsible in in not making peace a more urgent priority. Mm-hmm. When you say the whole world has been irresponsible, uh, unpack that for me a bit, John. Sure. Um, look, uh, we know the the crisis of the Middle East. Right? This is not this is not news. This is something. You and I are not very young people anymore, Tavis, mm-hmm. and uh, this has been our entire life, mm-hmm. right? This has been a, a reality. And we have seen people at times uh, take, take a period of time and say, well, oh, we're going to try and, and achieve peace. And sometimes it's an American leader, sometimes it's a European leader, sometimes it's a, a leader from a non-aligned nation. You know, different folks have, have tried, uh, but invariably they tend to move away. Right? They tend to say, oh, this is really tough. This is hard. And, um, and as a result, they often tend to throw money into the region, right? to take a side, to send weapons there. Uh, but the actual peacemaking, the hard, hard work of peacemaking, which you did see play out, by the way, in Northern Ireland. Um, it, it has been done in places around the world. Um, I think there's been too weak a commitment to it. Uh, and I, 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 of course... Will recognize Jimmy Carter, yeah, sure. because Jimmy Carter did commit to it um, at great sacrifice. In fact, it may have been one of the many things that, that cost him his presidency. But um, he committed to it, and he did show us that if you if you make it an immense priority, um, you can bring people together and actually achieve peace agreements. When we come forward, I'm going to go uh, right back to Jimmy Carter because I, I remember this vividly. Um, Jimmy Carter, of course, 99 years of age now. Uh, and uh, he is home in hospice care, uh, and for 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 a few days, many were just on a death watch to see when Jimmy Carter was going to pass away. After the announcement, he was going home. Uh, uh, didn't want to sp- spend any more time in hospitals. Wanted to spend his remaining days at home. So we thought a few months ago that meant Jimmy Carter was going to die immediately. Jimmy Carter is still holding on at 99. But um, I've been honored in my career to have any number of conversations with uh, President Carter. Uh, he always puts me on his list when he comes uh, to Los Angeles. Uh, and so we've had uh, countless uh, dialogues over the years, public and private. And one of those conversations, John, 
uh, was a few years ago when Jimmy Carter got himself in a whole lot of trouble for calling uh, the situation in Palestine apartheid. So here's a president who is a Christian himself, as president, supported Israel, as every other president does of this country. Uh, but he called this situation apartheid, and all hell broke loose when Jimmy Carter did that. And here he was in L.A. defending himself on my, uh, my, my program. Uh, I want to talk about that word apartheid that Jimmy Carter used then and whether or not it is appropriate today. It's always difficult and tricky when you have these conversations about Israel and Palestine. People get in there in their feelings. Uh, legitimately, I understand that. Um, but it's also a question about who the players are. And every time this seems to happen, certainly in our recent lifetimes, John, uh, Bibi Netanyahu was always at the center of it. And I just think Bibi is the wrong guy. We'll talk about that and a great deal more when we come forward with John Nichols on Tavis Smiley. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Smart talk for curious people just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. 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 Tavis Smiley in conversation with John Nichols, the national affairs correspondent for The Nation magazine, talking here uh, at the onset of today's program about uh, the one topic that the whole world is talking about, the, the, the conflict in the Middle East, the Israeli war right about now, uh, day four uh, by my count. And uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, Bibi, as they call him in Israel, uh, the prime minister, uh, once again of that nation, uh, said days ago, we are at war and all hell has broken loose um, since then. Um, you mentioned Jimmy Carter, uh, John Nicholson, so I, I, I sort of opined on my relationship with him over the years. And he and I have had any number of conversations about a variety of subjects, um, but none more prescient, uh, none more pressing, I should say, than the Middle East. Uh, to your point, you and I have been at this a long time uh, in this field of media and journalism. <clears throat> and so this is not our first rodeo, our first conversation, obviously, uh, about the state of things in the Middle East. Jimmy Carter, uh, some years ago, as you may recall, got himself in a lot of trouble. When he referred to this situation uh, in the Middle East, certainly with regard to Palestine, as an apartheid situation, compared it to what we all know and saw in South Africa. And he caught he caught a beatdown. Jimmy Carter did. Uh, here's a Nobel Peace Prize recipient, by the way, a Nobel Peace Prize recipient who uses a phrase like that. And again, they went in on Jimmy Carter. Uh, and in this moment. Um, I am reminded that this is a hard conversation. Let me put it another way. It's a hard conversation that requires some heart answers, hard questions that require heart answers. And we can never seem to get to the heart of the matter. I think you were intimating that earlier. Um, but um, in retrospect, what do you make of Jimmy Carter's comment then, since you raised his name, and the reality of the situation on the ground in the Middle East right now? Sure. I, I interviewed President Carter a number of times, as, as you did as well, and have, and hopefully we'll get a chance to do it again. Yes. I, I find him one of the most resilient men in the world, and I... Uh, you know, I'll just briefly say that when uh, when he did go into hospice, people said to me, "Do you want to write some reflection on Jimmy Carter?" And I said, "Not right away. I I anticipate he's, <laughs> he's going to be with us for quite a while yet." Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a guy who who had surgery, was having you know intense surgery, and was out building houses the next mm -hmm, day. That's right. So uh, look, I I have a great deal of respect for him. I think that comes through in my comments, and we have talked about these issues uh, at great length. And I can tell you, he is a serious man. Mm -hmm. He is a, a scholar and a student. Uh, he uh, didn't form his opinions about the Middle East casually, and he didn't go there, you know, for a quick trip and then come back and write a book. Mm -hmm. He consulted intensely um, with people in the Middle East and, frankly, people in South Africa uh, before he used that term. And uh, whether you agree with it or not, uh, it's important to understand why he chose to use it. I asked him. 
And I, I remember him saying, and I, I will I'll paraphrase here, obviously, that he felt he needed to use a term that would, would cause people to, you know, kind of jump out of their chair, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And would, would force a debate. And this has come from a man who has great regard for Israel, great regard for Palestine, mm-hmm. for, who knows the great religions of the region and knows the people of the region. And I, I believe he used that term to try and, and force us to take seriously what's going on there, right? Yeah, yeah. And to take seriously what's happening on the ground. And, um, and frankly, frankly, to get us to say, you know, whether we like the term or not, we've got to take this more seriously. We have to try and resolve it, right? And, um, and I fear that, uh, that the, the kind of blowback that Carter got for using that term uh, continues to cause many major politicians to be cautious, yeah. uh, way too cautious in their language. And, and, that, and that's, the, that's the, the issue I was pushing toward. And so here I use the word prescient earlier. That's what you are. You are pressing. Jimmy Carter was pressing. You are prescient because that's exactly where I wanted to go. Um, there is no issue uh, that is as volatile as this issue, uh, no global issue as volatile as this issue for politicians around the globe. And even in this country, given that we have been an ally of Israel uh, and have always sided with Israel, no matter what the conflict is, we side with Israel. We give them billions of dollars in aid. Uh, the Jewish lobby is as, as powerful as any lobby in in Washington. Uh, Bibi Netanyahu comes over here and gets whatever he wants anytime he wants it. Um, so there's no question about that. And that's not being unfair. That's just being accurate. Israel gets what it wants from the United States government. That relationship is cemented, has been for a long time. Um, And in that regard, I wonder whether or not it's ever possible to have a conversation that is um, that is fundamentally fair, if I can use that phrase, John, um, given our position on this particular issue, given our relationship with Israel, whether or not it's ever possible to see uh, any other side whether or not it's possible to ever have a conversation that's rooted in fairness, given our political uh, position, uh, and whether or not that in many respects then ends up, what's the word I'm looking for, sort of hamstringing U.S. politicians. Does that make sense? Much of what you say makes sense, but let me tell you, um, at the bottom line, yes, it's possible. Okay. It has to be possible. If it is not, then what we saw on Saturday, which was as we began by saying, horrific. What we saw on Saturday, we'll see again mm-hmm. in some other form, in some other way. And what we're seeing today, we'll see again in some other form, in some other way. So, yes, it has to be possible. And, again, we talked about Jimmy Carter. Remember, he got the leaders from the Middle East, people who had you know, sworn hatreds of one another, uh, to Camp David, and they forged peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the perfect peace, but they did it. So, yes, the possibility is there. Let me let me offer one notion. Sure. Um, when you're talking about uh, you know different lobbies and things like that, I would emphasize to now now that we have many many different messages coming from the Jewish community, and there is J Street now, a group that is uh, very very critical of many Israeli policies, very very critical of Netanyahu, and it's it's a real um, important force I think in Washington. Yes, you still have. Um, APAC and other groups, other Israeli-aligned groups that, that take the more right-wing stance or the more pro-Netanyahu stance. But there's diversity, mm-hmm. and that diversity in opinion, in Jewish opinion, and in Muslim and Christian and Arab opinion, 
I think it's being heard more and more in Washington. Yeah. The current moment makes it hard, right? Yeah. You know, of course it's difficult. But I will tell you, as somebody who's covered these issues for a long time, I am, I am hearing more diversity of opinion and, and more honest dialogue. I will, I'm not naive. I don't put on rose-colored glasses about any of this. But I believe that we are in a hopeful moment. And that hopeful moment is, is very hard to see and very hard to wrap our heads around today, of course. But the fact of the matter is there are people on Capitol Hill who are more willing to wrestle with these issues than in the past. And I will point out that in, in 2019, in the presidential debate, uh, Bernie Sanders affirmatively brought up the condition of Palestinians in the debate, mm-hmm. right? He didn't, wasn't dragged into it. He referenced it because he said it was relevant to the discussion, right? And um, that was a historic moment, but an important moment. And, and uh, I would say others are doing that as well. And I think it's important to recognize you can care for Israel deeply. Yeah. You can respect these three great Abrahamic religions. Um, and you can, at the same time, recognize the condition of the Palestinians, recognize that Hamas is not Palestine, and that there are, there are Palestinians who are deeply committed to nonviolence, to peace, uh, just as there are Israelis who are deeply committed to nonviolence and to peace. And if I can recommend one thing, it's simply this. Um, I urge people to read Haaretz, the, the very prominent uh, Israeli newspaper, which uh, gives a perspective on this which is sharply critical of Netanyahu. And in fact, in recent days, has carried articles saying that Netanyahu should resign. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is great diversity of opinion in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, our problem is, and we're doing it right now, and I, I, I'm going to pat us both on the back, but our problem is that too often that diversity is not reflected in U.S. media yeah. or in U.S. political discourse. Nope. Our job is to make sure it is reflected. No nope, no question about that. Um, I was at dinner a couple of days ago, and this issue came up, and um, I was reminded of a conversation. Uh, again, I've been so fortunate, so blessed in my career. I've talked to Jimmy Carter many times, but I've also interviewed BB, uh, B.B. Netanyahu. Uh, and mm-hmm. he and, and he and I went at it one day, man. We 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 had, we had a knock. <laughs> he can do that. Yeah, yeah we yeah. we BB BB's a tough guy, man. We had a knockdown drag out. The prime minister and yours truly went at it one day uh, about this situation in the Middle East, and I, I'll leave that where it is for now. But um, he, I, 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 well, I'll just say this: that what what made me go off the rails, and and then he responded in kind, and we just had a uh, get a knockdown drag out. Was I, I raised some some Kingian as in MLK some Kingian questions with him about the power of love and negotiation and et cetera et cetera and maybe shot back at me John uh, Tabish with all due respect Dr King never knew Hamas with all due respect Dr King never knew Hezbollah and I looked at him and I almost forgot I was talking to a head of state I said Have you lost your mind man? Are, are, are you are you serious? He knew, yeah, <laughs> exactly. He knew violent players, <laughs> yes, um, and, and recognized the danger. No, you're you're look, and and I've I've spent a lot of my career, a lot of my life in Israel and Palestine. I've reported from both places. Yeah. I've been in the halls of Knesset. I've been there when Bibi Netanyahu was you know negotiating with people and arguing with people. Um, and all I will emphasize is, as somebody who spent a lot of time there, I've also seen people 
who passionately disagree with Bibi Netanyahu mm-hmm. in Israeli politics, yeah. right? And, and that's all I'm saying is that within the Palestinian community, I have been with, with great advocates for peace who are in the Gandhian tradition, mm-hmm. in the King tradition. And in the Israeli community, I have been with great advocates who, for peace who are in the Gandhian tradition, in the King tradition. And we Americans need to know that. We need to know that those people are there, mm-hmm. and we need to lift them up, and we need to say, these are the people we want to work with. These are the people who we want to amplify and empower, because the people who are striving for peace in the Middle East need allies. Yeah. They need support. Yeah. And, they, and they, get, they get beat up in their own communities. They get beat up uh, sometimes internationally. I mean, it's hard. And yet, at the end of the day, uh, there are these profiles in courage. And all I'm saying is, that's why I recommend reading Haaretz. That's why I recommend, you know, looking more broadly, because what you're going to hear is that there are an awful lot of people whose hearts are broken now because of the murders of innocent Israelis and because of the deaths of innocent Palestinians. Yeah, it is. This, your, your comments now remind me of what it what it was like to travel the world as many of us did during the during the era of of Donald Trump. Uh, and what you find yourself doing as an American <laughs> traveling the world during the era of Donald Trump is explain to folk around the world that yes, he's our president, but everybody does not agree with this guy. I mean, there are a whole lot of Americans who wish he were not the president. Uh, and you can't necessarily see that when you're living in other parts of the globe because you just see Donald Trump as the representative of the U.S. government, and indeed he was mm-hmm. for those four years. But you have to remind people, no, 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 no. Yes, he's the president. And then they start asking, well, how did he become the president if many Americans, most Americans don't like this guy, don't agree? That's a whole other conversation about how democracy works in this country, right? Or it's supposed to work at least. Um, and so it's no different than with Bibi Netanyahu. Um, you cannot make That's the right. assumption that because Bibi Netanyahu speaks as the prime minister of that country, that there aren't folk inside of Israel who who absolutely disagree with his approach, not just now, uh, but for years. He's been prime minister a number of times. He, he, he loses and he bounces back again. Uh, and so there are questions that one could ask the Israeli people about why Bibi keeps being the guy. But I, as I said earlier, uh, I believe that over the course of, of, of years now, we've had the wrong players at the table to address this issue. And I frankly believe that B.B. Netanyahu is one of the wrong players. That's just my assessment, no matter what you think of what's happening in the Middle East. I just think the wrong players are too often at the table when these moments happen. I, di- I digress in that regard. I've got just two minutes left here, John. This is really not fair to do. I, I promise I want to have you back because I really want to spend an hour just on this issue. But you saw the story and more than the story. You covered this stuff, so you know this huge story in the New York Times of the day that just has me, my, my skin has just been I've been boiling about this story because, again, it's nothing nothing we don't know. But the headline was that fearing third-party spoilers versus Trump, mm. Biden allies are trying to squash them. So all the folk around the president are trying to just kill off, trying to squash, trying to suffocate Anybody running as a third-party candidate, be it Cornell West or, by, or Robert Kennedy Jr. or, or Marion Williamson or anybody else, they're trying to just squash and kill with negative stories, negative research, everything they can do. They want to kill off these third-party candidates because they believe, of course, it's going to hurt them against Trump. You know how this works. I know how it works. But there's something fundamentally anti-democratic about their behavior. Give me what you can in, in 90 seconds, and we'll continue next time you're back on. 
John, did I lose you? John, John. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you now. Go ahead, go ahead. Give me. I got. I got about oh. forty-five seconds. Give me. Give me your take on it, right quick. We'll. We'll do. We'll continue though. I think. I, I think John is. Uh, his phone is cutting it out on me. Um, John, we'll, 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 brother, can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yeah, you got. I got a few seconds. Do you, you okay. want to give me a quick take on that? A few seconds. We got to do an hour on this. Because yes. People have a right to run for president of the United States, and I'll tell you something. Democrats who think they want to knock out third parties are missing the point. Mm-hmm. The point is. If there's a third party running and it's taking votes from you, maybe you ought to think about what you're saying. <laughs> maybe you ought to think about your message. There you right? go. In, 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 I, I could go on for hours, but that's no. That's my, that's my core assessment. In 30 seconds, you nailed it, and that's why we're going to spend an hour. So uh, expect a phone call from me. I actually want to do a roundtable on this. I'm going to do a panel with a few people just addressing this issue because you know the Democratic Party has just lost their minds. This is not the way to deal with third party oh. candidates to just try to kill people and squash them. I can't stand that nonsense. We'll come back to that with John Nichols and a few others in the coming days. So stay tuned to this program for that dialogue about the the ways that the Democratic Party I think is misbehaving. For now. We thank John Nichols more when we come forward on Tavis Smiley.